for people who are applying, that's a really good insight, I think, knowing that the time you spend interviewing for a large company, even if you don't turn out to be right for that role, there's probably a high chance that like, if you know, if you've nailed it, that they could find something for you elsewhere. Welcome to Design Life, a podcast about design and side projects for motivated creators. I'm one of your hosts, Femke. And I am your other host, Charlie. In today's episode, we want to talk about hiring, but, but, big caveat here, from the perspective of the person doing the hiring. Mm -hmm. We've talked a lot about finding a design job, about portfolios, design applications, things like that, in our many years of making this podcast. (laughs) But something I don't feel like we've really touched on before is the other side of it in hiring a designer to join a team at a company. Mm -hmm. So I think this episode will be useful whether you're someone leading a team and like having to own that hiring process or if you are in Femke's position where you get pulled into the hiring process to hire someone else to sort of like be your peer, you know. Um, So we're going to share from our various experiences doing this. I recently hired a new designer onto my team at ConvertKit. And so it's very fresh in my mind. And I know, Fem, you're right now going through uh, a hiring process as well for someone at Uber. So yeah, this will be a good topic. But before we get into it, though, the usual. How are you going, Fem? (laughs) The daily chicken. The daily chicken. (laughs) Love it. Uh, I'm doing good. Actually, last night I bought a course and decided to invest a little bit in myself. And I was like kind of looking forward to sharing this on the show. Yeah. So I think in our 2021, our first episode where we talked about what we want to do this year, I'm pretty sure I mentioned how I'm thinking about doing my own like private community and kind of membership. Mm -hmm. And I've been like thinking on this idea for a while and been like, it's it's in the back of my mind, like trying to plan and prepare for like how I'm going to actually launch and do this. And then yesterday I got an email uh, from Rosie Land, which is a newsletter I'm subscribed to and have been for a while. And it's a newsletter that's all about community building. If anyone's interested in that, then you can go to Rosie Land or just Google that and I'm sure it will come up. But anyway, uh, she sent out an email announcing her course that she's doing on community building and how to like set up and create and maintain a community. And it was one of those moments where it was like almost, it, it spoke to me so instantly. It was kind of like an instant buy. I was like, yup, this speaks to me. This is what I need. Some accountability, like a course that I can go through. It's like a six week kind of program. Like I think we all jump on Zoom and it's like live workshopping. So I was like, yup. This is what I'm going to do and this is going to help me launch my community. So yeah, I'm like really excited about it. It starts in March, so I'll report back later on. But yeah, I'm very much looking forward to taking that course and strategizing and planning and hopefully it will help me kind of launch my community successfully. That's really exciting. I love that. I love when, I don't know, it just feels like it was serendipitous, you know, that you were meant to take that course. It just arrived in your inbox. At the right time. Yeah. Yep. At the exact right time. You talking about a course just reminded me that I bought a course. Oh, yeah. Last year that I have not taken yet and that I probably need to put on my to-do list. It's one um, about working with a virtual assistant called Delegate and Done. 
So sort of like, yeah, how to make the most of that and make it effective. Uh, so yeah, I should probably get onto that. Maybe I'll put that on my to-do list to start this weekend. <laughs> yeah, so that like brings up another point where like this course basically had two options. You could either purchase the like live sessions, like, you know, the accountability, you come up every week, there's a live workshop, you have like little accountability sessions with others taking the course at the same time. And then there was another option, which was, I think even less than half price, which was just access to the recordings. And mm. I was like, hmm, which one should I do? <laughs> and I was like, I know that if I pick the recording one, I'm going to procrastinate. I'm going to not make the time to sit down and go through the recordings. I won't yep. I won't be like having that accountability, right? And like workshopping and strategizing like on the call. So I chose the more expensive one. I think that was a good choice. I think that's smart because I mean, you know, I am your um, warning there <laughs> in, in having a course and not actually working on it. Yeah. It's easy to buy a course and feel like you're achieving things just because you bought it, you know, but then you got to actually take it to get the value from it. I know. Another Isn't thing. Isn't that weird? Yeah. yeah I recently <laughs> bought, I think you might have actually attended this live session, Jessica Heesha's pricing workshop. I don't know. Yeah, uh, did you attend I it? I did not, oh, okay. but I have seen a bunch of her pricing stuff before. She's okay. so good with it. I know. So sure. I bought yeah. her like basically PDF presentation from that workshop. So it's not like a recording, but it's just a resource. And I still haven't gone through it. And it's like this hundred page PDF, which I know is like full of gold and nuggets. There's just something about like doing it live and like having that accountability to show up that I think works so much better for me. Um, so anyway, yeah. that was a bit of a long preamble, but um, how are you doing? <laughs> What's been going on with you? Um, I don't even know. Uh, uh, you know what? One good thing that's been happening for me lately is that I've stuck with the writing habit that I talked about oh, in the yeah, previous yeah, episode. Yeah. Now on day 22 of writing every single day. Oh so my gosh. That feels good. It's like, for me, when something becomes a habit is when it doesn't even get written on my to-do list. It just gets done by default, you know? Mm-hmm. Last year in 2020, working out became a habit that didn't get written on my to-do list. It's just something I started doing most days, uh, doing some form of movement. And so far this year, writing has been the same. I think I wrote it on my to-do list the first couple of days, but then I was just like, nope, we're just, it's just, it has to be done. It's yeah. going to be done every day, no matter what. So we don't need to write it on the list. It's not like you write, brush your teeth on your to-do list. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, that's been going well. I feel like it's definitely helping me make the progress that I wanted to make. Mm -hmm. on this marketing design book project. So um, I'm excited about that. And there's still a long way to go, but it's it feels good to be making small progress every day, even if it's just writing for five minutes, you know? Yeah. Um, it's, it's something small. So that's been good. I'm impressed. That's really, it's hard to have a writing habit. Do you find that like, how, like how much do you write on average? Like, are you writing like a whole page or? It honestly depends. It's it depends on the, my mood that day and like whether it starts flowing or not. The other night I hadn't done it in the morning, which is when I usually try and do it. But I was like, well, it's 8 p.m. I haven't done my writing yet for the day. I've got to sit down and do this. Uh, and I didn't want to, but I didn't want to like break my chain either. And so sat down, started writing and it just like started pouring out of me. It wow. was just a, you know, like moment of inspiration. So sometimes you have moments like that and sometimes you like write three sentences and erase them and write them again 10 times until yep. you give up but that's okay like it depends on the day I usually do a longer writing session on the weekends because you know there's more time yeah wow I'm super impressed 
Thank you, thank you. What are you planning to do with all the things you're writing? Are you going to publish? Well, yes, Fem, because I'm working on a book. Okay, yeah. So I wasn't <laughs> sure if you're like always writing for your book or oh, you are gotcha, writing gotcha. other things as well. It depends. Like okay. sometimes I'm writing for my newsletter and sometimes I guess I'm using my newsletter as a testing ground for the book. And like some pieces that I write might go on the newsletter and then also become like the draft of a, a, a section of the book, you know? Got it. Okay. Yeah, cool. that's sort of the approach that I'm taking. But I try and make it like useful writing not just um today i I ate a banana (laughs) exactly (laughs) exactly no that's great but something else that has happened like in my life recently just to bring it around to today's topic as well you're gonna love a smooth transition oh i'm ready for it i'm so ready since i called it out we had a new designer drive my team so caleb has been onboarding and that's been really exciting to yeah i get to chat to him more and like learn more about him as a person because you know there's things that you can't ask about during interviews that is true we'll get into that but yeah it's been really cool to see him just yeah love being part of the team too like his enthusiasm is fantastic so yeah it's been busy time at work yeah it's been good okay so what like in a nutshell was that hiring process like and especially i'm curious for your perspective as like the hiring manager I'm usually just like someone sitting at the table. I don't really have influence on like the job description and like how do we look for this person and what's the posting and things like that. What what has that process been like for you? Interesting. Okay, so going back, throughout my time at ConvertKit, I've been involved in whenever we've hired like someone, a creative person usually, I've been involved in the hiring of our product designers, front-end developer, even our product manager, um, the main roles that I've been part of the hiring team for and I did feel that for those I had input on the job description Mm. and the where we should be placing the ad and things like that too so that's an interesting difference I guess small company versus big company might be coming in there I'd say so yeah but we have a pretty like over the years our hiring process at ConvertKit has become more and more refined and more and more structured I guess is the word for it Yeah, we have a very clear process to follow that our operations team sort of has put into place and documented so that you know exactly what you have to do when, pretty much. And it's like, you know, there's this interview followed by this one and followed by this one. You have to set up this sort of criteria. They sort of, they guide you on the best way to approach it. Wait, for the record, you you don't have recruiters, right? Oh, no, 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 no. Right. (laughs) We do have uh, an operations team at the company, though. So our ops team helps with with stuff like that and with like getting the job posted places if we want things like that but it's really on the hiring manager to be doing the outbound recruiting as well for the role because that is something we try and do for each role is recruit people especially to ensure that we get like the right how do i word this um often there is like often the reason why companies end up being full of white people (laughs) is because people don't actively seek out a more diverse applicant pool for a job and they just like take whatever comes in and it's like if you have a company which is all white people it's probably going to be more white people that applies to it because they're going to feel the most (laughs) at home there you know and that's where the problem just compounds um and yeah that that issue happens so we try and recruit candidates to ensure that we're like seeking out good quality people in the industry who we really admire, who we feel like could do well um, as part of the job. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, with an eye on, on diversity there as well. So that's that's part of the, the initial stages of the hiring process as a hiring manager that was different from my times 
you know, just being part of the hiring team. How much of it is like outbound versus inbound? It was mostly inbound. Okay. Because like I also had a whole other job to do. Right. (laughs) You know, it's really, really, really hard to recruit. Like Uh I get it why people are in, you know, your LinkedIn inbox all the time. If you want to make an, if you want to reach out to someone to get them to apply for a job and you don't know them and you got to get them interested in it, it's, it's a lot of work. And so, yeah, it's mostly inbound. Um, mostly about trying to make choices of putting the job application in the right place. So we, for example, no longer list on Indeed, mm. you know, giant job site, because mm-hmm. we would find that more often than not, the candidates who would come in through Indeed weren't suitable for the role. They were sort of more just like applying for anything. Okay. And that it just wasn't leading to the best quality of applications. Not saying that there wasn't great people who also came through Indeed, but it was much rarer for that to be the case. So we focused posting solely on more specialized job boards, really. Um, and especially on ones that are are working towards improving diversity in tech. Right. Like Diversify Tech, for example, is a great job that we posted on. Because, again, it's about the applicant pool, right? You can't have a more diverse team if you don't ensure that you have a diverse pool of applicants to, to hire from. Um, so we sort of, that's a focus in those early stages of the hiring process, is to put things in place to ensure that happens. Yeah, this is so interesting to learn about because I'm not involved at all in this stage of the the interviewing process. We have a recruiting team and... I don't even know where they post the job, honestly. I often like will stumble upon them on LinkedIn or like some other random <laughs> like recruiting websites. That's so interesting to hear how intentional you are about where it's posted. I didn't even really consider that to be effective, but I guess that makes sense. Like wherever you post it is going to affect the quality and the type of candidates that you're going to get coming through, right? Um, so yeah, that's that's cool to hear about how intentional you are about that. Yeah, and that's definitely something that we've learned over time, you know, that Mm. in order to get the more diverse pool, you've got to be actively um, showing the role in spaces where where people are looking because otherwise, you know, just there's less chance. So you've got to do whatever you can to um, improve your chances. I'm curious to know where you do normally come in in the hiring process, Fem. Like what's what's normally the time that you get involved in in a new role? When they're in for an interview, usually that's okay. that's when I um, get pulled in. Actually, recently we just tried uh, for one of the roles we're hiring a UX writer and um, we had a couple of interviews and it hasn't been going that well. Uh, so actually just recently the hiring manager pulled us all together to review applicants before we invited them for an interview, um, which is not normally how it's done. I think he, he wanted a bit of a signal from us on the candidates before kind of, you know, inviting them all and then interviewing is a lot of time, obviously. So yeah, I mostly it's like at the interview phase, there have been times where I've been pulled in earlier. I'm actually now remembering a, a few years ago in Amsterdam, I think we had like literally over 100 applications for a role and we all got together as a team and went through the resumes and like put, put them into piles um, depending on how we felt about different candidates. Uh, and I think we ended up with like a list of like 10 at the end. Um, so yeah, I have been a little bit involved in that pre-interview stage, but usually not. And by the time someone gets to an interview at Uber, what other stages in the hiring process have they gone through? I believe they've had a phone screen. Usually that's with the recruiter. And they've also had a like one-on-one with the hiring manager. 
So they've gone through that and then now they're coming quote unquote on site. I mean, it's all virtual now, but then they're coming like for an on site, which is basically almost a day worth of interviewing. I think actually they, they have a portfolio review with everyone and then they have like subsequent one-on-ones individually with people on the interview panel um, before ending the day with like checking in with the hiring manager again and then usually we get together the day or two afterwards to have a bit of a debrief and make a decision. And how many candidates for each role normally would get to that round you know like how many of those day-long interview sessions are you doing for, for a role? Mm, on average maybe three two to three okay so it's very far down the process and like very close to the end basically yeah like if you're getting an an interview you are pretty pretty close to the end yeah we're not like bringing a hundred people on site yeah yeah yeah, that makes a lot of sense (laughs) how many people do you think the the hiring team or the recruitment team sorry in your company's language um yeah (laughs) how many people do they phone screen do you think oh i don't know uh, I really don't know, actually. I would guess maybe like a few tens, like 10 people, okay. maybe 20. Oh, but that's totally yep. a wild guess. Yeah, yeah. We did a lot more than that. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell me more about yours. Like, how do you get to that point where someone's coming for an interview? So we go through applications, putting them in piles, like you said, but... um. We have a very, like at each stage of our process, there is a list of criteria we're sort of, we we literally grade on, like we rate one to five as to how well they fulfill a certain thing. Mm -hmm. And that was something that was introduced to try and like stay away from any sort of unconscious bias that might creep in because you're just evaluating based on these are the criteria that we've said is important at this stage rate each application, like portfolio, whatever for these factors, and then we'll move forward the best like ones like uh, and it's sort of different each time where that cutoff is like for design in particular there's a lot you can just see from a portfolio and so you know there was a a a big cut around that round but then yeah after the phone screens is when you're more looking for like okay well what are they like how do how do they actually work and what's their work experience how well can they speak to that and um yeah that's what sort of determines moving on to the next round we have three rounds of calls, really. One is a phone screen. One is like a technical interview. And that's what myself and Corey conducted for this role. And that's really focused on their design process, working with devs, things like that. Um, learning all the things we'd, we would need to know about how they get their work done and um, how successful we feel they'd be in, in the role at ConvertKit, knowing what is needed from the role, you know. And then the last round of interviews where we get down to like really just sometimes it's just two, like one or two people, honestly, but for this round, we had three, I think, um, is our culture contribution interview. Oh, So this is a stage where, and we're very particular to call it culture contribution, because again, when you look for culture fit, you're looking for people who are the same as what you are. Yes. And (laughs) like, that's, I don't know, every company goes on about wanting to increase diversity, but then they also talk about Oh, they want a good culture fit. And I'm like, well, look, that's your freaking problem. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it's really about, okay, tell us more about what drives you and what what you love about what you do. Um, And we can see what you will bring and, like, add to the team, you know, because every person, especially at a small company, you need them to add something. 
and like bring their own unique perspective on life and on on business on on design on whatever yeah uh everyone can have a really big impact in in adding in that way so that's what the last stage is that we then meet and make a decision on from there yeah i love that i i wish that we did that a little bit uh for our ICs. i believe we do that kind of style interview for management and above like if someone's coming in as a leader um then it seems like we we value that a little bit more than someone coming in as an ic um interesting which yeah is is interesting in my opinion i think it should be for anyone but yeah it seems like that's something more that we focus on in management i'm curious do you only interview designers do you have experience interviewing for like engineering roles or or anything else or what's kind of your breadth of um disciplines that you interview um, for me, it's been actually yeah. I've been involved in, in interviewing for one of our uh, like finance positions at one stage. Oh, interesting. I was involved in the culture contribution stage okay. for that. <laughs> That's the thing about that culture contribution interview. It does it doesn't matter what the discipline is really. Yeah, that's cool. You know, by that point that they would do well at the job, and so now you're just checking that they are going to be the person who would contribute the most to our, our yep. culture. So yeah, I've hired across finance, product management, product design. And front-end dev is That's the awesome. main ones that I've been a part of. I think what helps and what I would really encourage you to like bring to your team and anyone listening as well is the criteria thing. Like deciding beforehand, okay, we're going to meet with this person. What are we looking for? Mm-hmm. Because we don't want to just rely on our guts. We don't want to just rely on the gut feeling. Like honestly, that is part of it. You do have to pay attention to that, especially when like if they're ticking boxes, but your brain's going mm, red flag, red flag there, you know, <laughs> um, you have to pay attention to that, but it really does help to know what it is you want to be evaluating on and deciding that before you get on a call with anybody is really important. We do it in a spreadsheet. We have like oh, nice. um, a spreadsheet of the candidates in each stage with the five, four or five criteria that we're evaluating against as columns and then everyone rates like one to five. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. The people who interview them rate one to five, how they demonstrated that um and we sort of think as well in advance about what that one to five actually means as well usually it's just like um poor uh, i can't remember the, the top one five is great four is good okay. three is fair you know like <laughs> yeah yeah that sort of thing yeah. yeah that makes sense yeah i like that you've interviewed a little bit cross-disciplinary i'm mostly only involved in like design related interviews so like maybe a ux writer researcher designer and a manager something that i've like wanted to be more involved in interviewing is actually engineers uh designers are not involved in the interview process for engineering which i think is a totally missed opportunity especially for for front end specifically uh, or mobile engineers um because working with designers is a huge part of of the engineering process right and that's a really important collaborative relationship uh so it's something that i've been like having some conversations with internally actually to kind of see if there is any opportunity for design to even just be in the room and kind of be part of that interview process because personally i think i think it's important and i would also vice versa welcome an engineer interviewing a designer as well considering Absolutely. that's a yeah. very important part of the the process yeah, that was great about doing the te- technical interview with Corey because, mm, yeah. you know, I could have done it with one of the product designers if we wanted to have it fully a design thing. But um, yeah, we thought it was really important because this role we we're hiring for would work really closely with him to have him involved on that technical yeah. side of things. So yeah, I think it worked out really well. 
Something else that um, we've learned over time at ConvertKit is to ensure that every single person you hire talks to, like, doesn't just speak to men in the interview. I'll put it that way. Uh, like, yeah, yeah. There's, you know, been times when someone's gotten through to near the end and all, they've only talked to men the whole way through. And then you learn, like, right at the last minute or sometimes too late that they don't interface very well with women. And that is a problem because our company is like nearly half women <laughs> yeah. and they need to be able to do that. And so that's like a thing that we try to make happen and sort of have that pairing on interviews. Do you do that for both genders? Like make sure that men candidates talk to women or only women candidates get the opportunity to talk to women? I think I know no, the answer, no, 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 but no. I'm trying to I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm meaning that we've had a problem where the, like with male candidates who then we learn don't interface very well with women because we never like right they never talked to one in an interview process so it never like came to light if that makes sense interesting yeah. yeah yeah i don't know what our official policy is on that i mean as a woman i guess every time i've been involved in interviewing yeah there's been both men and women in the room but i guess because because i'm a woman um i think it's probably maybe a bit different on the engineering side unfortunately <laughs> yeah that's the thing too it's like it's a product it can be a self-fulfilling prophecy right like your team in terms of culture fit, in terms of not being very diverse, if that's the only people you have on your team, that's the people who are conducting the interviews. And so that's the people who feel most comfortable with you. And, you know, it, yeah. it's not good. No, <laughs> I mean, I will say when, when I was interviewing at Uber, there were no men uh, in the interview. Like it was, oh, wow. uh, sorry, sorry, officer. There were no women. It was all okay. men. <laughs> I was very impressed for a Sorry, sorry, there. sorry. Yeah, the the whole design team in Amsterdam was men. So I was the first woman joining the team. And then throughout the interview, it was, it was only men. And I think I got to the very end where they realized that and brought a woman in, a product manager. Okay, um, okay. So yeah, I yeah. could have a a honest conversation with at least one woman. <laughs> so... That was mm -hmm. nice that they did that at the time. I think we've improved a lot since then, um, that it's yeah. it's pretty diverse on the design side. That's the thing, right? It has to be intentional. Yeah, I know. <laughs> if, if, they, if you go through your design hiring process and it's just involving designers, which makes sense, like, you know, there's nothing wrong with doing that. But if your design team is, you know, all of, all of one ethnicity, all of one gender, then you need to intentionally get other people involved. Yeah, yeah. totally. Mm-hmm. One other like quick thing I'd love to touch on before we wrap up is kind of like debriefing and making a decision. Um, oh, yeah. You talked a bit about like you have a spreadsheet and you kind of do this like rating system. Um, can mm -hmm. you elaborate a little bit on that? And like, how do you make a decision? What What does that mm. process look like? Yeah. So there's sort of like, I feel like a hiring process in general is a lot of decisions along the way, right? For each stage where we're sort of like trying to narrow the field down and down. We, there won't be like a set number in mind before where it's like, okay, anyone below this total score gets cut off. You know, it's more like you have to think about the individuals, of course, that you've just talked to and, and be like, okay, this person has this score, but I really feel like they should move forward. So maybe it's everyone from them up um, gets to go forward to the next round. Um, it's a, uh, not super arbitrary because there is the score involved, but it's really up to the hiring manager how many people they want to include in each round. But like the more people you have in each round is a higher cost to you and your team in their time for interviewing and all that and rating. So you got to be aware of that too. At the end, sometimes we do something we call a DMF, which is the decision-making framework that I believe Coinbase coined. Ah, ha, ha. Um, 
they there was a blog post about that that they they posted how they make decisions within their company and we sort of adopted a lot of parts of it where it basically involves a blind vote at the start so in this case it would be like who do you think we should hire and then you discuss like if you had different answers and you can sort of make a case for why you think this person why the other person thinks that one mm-hmm, whatever mm-hmm. um with the hiring team and then uh you do another blind vote at the end and there's someone who is deemed the decision maker who has the final say so uh yeah, sometimes we use that process, but it's not often needed, to be honest, because we'll vote at the start and we all think the same person. Um, so, you know, but it, it at the end, it comes down to a conversation where everyone like has a chance for as long as we need to share their thoughts, because it's a really important step. It's a really important decision to make. So you don't want to rush it, you know. But yeah, it's time for everyone who was part of the hiring to voice their thoughts. And then the hiring manager decides at the end of the day who they want to move forward with and so yeah in my case in this case i mean it was me having to make that final decision (laughs) which was really scary at every stage it was scary and like honestly i don't know it was really tough too to be the Mm -hmm. one i've sent rejection emails before but it was so much harder sending them knowing that it was my decision Mm. you know and that i own it and that I can't just be like, well, you know, someone said they weren't right, so I'm just going to send this. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. It was, there's no getting around it. It's like, nope, I decided. And if I wanted to, I could have put them forward. But I decided that what was best for the business was for them not to move forward. Um, or best for them, too, often is the case. But yeah, that was really tough, especially for um, especially for me and my personality type. Like, yeah, I agonized hard. over every email. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's never fun to send those kinds of emails. Yeah. Um, have you had it happen to you where you like gave an offer and they declined or have you had like a hundred percent success rate so far? Yeah. I think if on the, every hiring like process that I've been involved in, mm-hmm. they've, they've then wanted to join by the end. Yeah. I think that's because, you know, we, we very much do treat it as interviewing both ways, making sure that ConvertKit is a good fit for the person yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, but we've definitely like at ConvertKit had people then decline the offer. Right. Um, in general, like I think it just happens, you know, Yeah. especially if someone's company gives them the counter offer that can be hard to turn down. Yeah. Like yeah. What about you? The decision making process on your end? Yeah. So you said that you will meet after the day of interviews to discuss. Is that when the decision is made of who, of, if you're going to hire that person or not? Or do you wait until you've interviewed all of them, like had all of the interview days? Yeah. Okay. So what happens after the day of interviewing is that then we are invited to fill out a scorecard. Uh, So it's basically, um, you can't see what others are filling out. uh, And it's kind of intentional. We like give our feedback without discussing amongst ourselves to not bias each other's feedback. So uh, the scorecard, I think there's a few like competencies or like criteria and the you can give like thumbs up or thumbs down there's also like double thumbs up and double thumbs down and then there's like an overall like do you think we should hire this person like thumbs up thumbs down uh and then there's a few boxes for like strengths or like you know good things and then um other you know the opposite so like things that didn't go well or that didn't look good and then the overall feedback column and then Basically, the recruiter collects those from everyone and then we get together for the debrief and the debrief kind of starts with like the recruiters seen everyone's 
feedback, but we haven't seen each other's, so nobody really knows uh, in the room how we're feeling about the candidate. Is it really hard to like not just talk about it with everyone? Oh my god, it's so hard. <laughs> yes, especially like during the interviews. Now that they're virtual as well, like sometimes I just want to slack my colleague and be like, mm. "Oh my god, this work is amazing." It's really hard to like refrain from talking to each other. Um, so yeah, we show up to this debrief and we basically start with like everyone kind of indicating whether they were like double thumbs up or one thumb up or double thumbs down, whatever. So then we kind of get a pulse in the room. And if it's kind of clear that like majority of the room is like thumbs down, then we kind of keep the meeting short. It's pretty much decided that we're not going to move forward. We discuss a little bit the feedback and things, but it ends pretty quickly. Um, If it's like overwhelmingly positive, then we all, you know, discuss the the positive things we saw. Um, And then basically like, we don't make a decision necessarily in that meeting to like, okay, now we're going to send them an offer. Essentially the hiring managers like, cool, this is all sounding pretty positive. I'm going to go away and maybe think a bit more about the leveling, like what level should we bring this person in at? Uh, or maybe there's still another candidate we're interviewing at the time. So we might want to wait a little bit um, to first see how that person goes. Um, but it's generally a positive signal that like, yeah, we're pretty much going to send this person an offer, but we might just wait a little bit longer. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Because I I guess it would be a little bit different at Uber too because, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's just my perception of like larger tech companies, that if you reach the end of a hiring process and there were two great designers, you would have the option maybe of just hiring them both. True. Like that that could be a thing that happens. That's yeah. That has happened once at ConvertKit. Okay. Um, <laughs> and it was like a big deal because we don't really do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was the end of our product design hiring process where we were looking for one and then at the end we're like, you know what, we're going to have them both. <laughs> yeah. Usually there's also like, um, maybe it's like, okay, we all really, really like this person, but maybe they're not the right fit for this particular role. Like, is there somewhere else in the company or, um, yeah, maybe it's like a more of a leveling thing. Like, oh, we were hoping to bring them in as a lead, but it seems like they might fit better as like a midweight right now and there's opportunity for them to grow. So they're like, just because they get a thumbs up doesn't mean like automatic offer. There's still, there's still like things to talk about and consider on the table. Um, but yeah, it's ultimately a very positive sign. Yeah. And that's interesting too about the, that there might be other places within the company for them, yeah. which is again, not something that we really have the option of at ConvertKit because of our hiring, like we're trying to stay small. And so we have yeah, that makes strict sense. rules about revenue per employee is our current way of doing it, making sure that we don't go over a certain threshold, but mm. I can't remember what it is off the top of my Interesting. head. That's cool. It, it sometimes is sad because like, especially in this process, you know, there was other designers that I was like, oh my God, you're so cool. <laughs> and like, I would love to work with you, but I can't hire everyone. You yeah, know, I can't yeah. have a team of four. I have to only pick one. So yeah, yeah, had to happen. We had that with um my intern last summer. Oh yeah. Uh, we thought he was great. We like totally loved him and wanted to, to hire him, but we didn't have headcount on the Uber Eats team. Uh, so ultimately we found a role for him in Uber for Business. So he did join Uber, but sadly couldn't join our team at the time. Uh, so yeah, that's just like a, a little nugget example of sometimes how, how how those things pan out. Yeah, and I guess for, for people who are in the, I know we've focused this episode on how to run things from the running the hiring process side, but for people who are applying, that's a really good insight, I think, knowing that the time you spend interviewing for a large company even if you don't turn out to be right for that role, there's probably a high chance that like, if you know, if you've nailed it, 
that they could find something for you elsewhere. Yeah. And yep. there's like, I wouldn't go into a smaller company with the expectation of that. Let's just no. say that. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. This was good. I enjoyed chatting about this. It's fun to talk about this side of things. And honestly, for me, fam, it's like a, like this podcast has followed us on our design careers for the past, gosh, five? what is it, like five years now? Crazy, right? Yeah. That's like, I think I've been in the design industry for a decade. So that's like half my career, almost your whole career, right? Pretty much my designer. whole career. Yeah. <laughs> Weird. It's cool that we're now in a place where we're talking about hiring other designers. You know, we wouldn't have been doing that um, five years ago when we started. For sure. Yeah. It's a, it's a nice reminder of how far we've come. Yeah. Well, where can people go to find more episodes of the show? Yeah, you can go to designlife.fm. I recently saw someone sharing that they were listening to episode one and I was like morbidly embarrassed. I don't know what we talk about on that episode, but <laughs> it's just so funny to see that like episode one from five years ago is still out there and kicking. So, you know, if you want to go back and start from oh, the beginning, let's not encourage it. <laughs> you can do that. Um, but yeah, I think we've grown a lot since then. So I would recommend maybe starting a little bit more recently. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. Um, we would also really appreciate your support over on our Patreon. If that's something you feel so inclined to do, if the show has been valuable to you and if you like, if that's an option for you financially, then it helps us to pay for our editing costs, pay for our website, mean all the things that go into running this little little podcast project and that's at patreon.com slash design life cool all right well we'll catch up again next week talk to you then all right bye bye